Welcome, everyone, to the Gen X Photography Podcast. This is episode 42, and I'm your host, Mario Piper. Of course, with me today, as always, for our interviews is Suzanne Peterson. Hello, Suzanne. How's it going? Hi, Mario. It's going great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, recording here in a hotel bathroom right now. How exciting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and of course, uh, today's episode is pretty special in a couple of ways. We've got a YouTube star with us, and we've got something extra special, and that's a new co-host. And so we'll get into our new co-host first, and that is none other than my wife, Julianne Piper. So Julie, welcome to the podcast again, this time as co-host. So Julie, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. That's good. All right. So today's special guest is none other than the awesome Dave Mahali from Ohio. Dave, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I was waiting to hear about this uh, YouTube star. Turns out, I guess it's just me. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> like, who do you got lined up? <laughs> it's you, Dave. It's you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with us. Yeah, really thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we get into the podcast or into the uh, the uh, interview, let's find out how everybody's weeks are going. Let's start with you, Suzanne. How's your week been going? Been going pretty well. Just wrapped up Polaroid week, which is kind of the only thing I've done photographically this week. But it was a good it was a good thing because I used to shoot Polaroid all the time. Like it was sort of my main go to. And I had kind of fallen off the wagon just because I've had other distractions in the photographic world to be excited about but it was really fun it was really fun just to pick it up literally was just doing snapshotty type pictures of random things in my day so it was a lot of fun though that's cool that's cool polaroids are magical yes they really really are all right well uh julie how's your week been going it's been going good it's been busy we as you already know went to new york for a photo walk and so that was cool i got to meet birgit from Lamography and um, shoot, I shot 110, 35, and 120. So we have a lot of things for you to develop. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, cool, cool. Dave, how's your week been going? Oh, Mario, it's been kind of a mixed bag. Photographically speaking, it's pretty good. Uh, Wednesday, I was able to shoot a couple videos. And uh, Friday, I got out and shot a roll of film for the uh, 135 millimeter challenge for Embrace the Grain. Oh, nice. Uh, last night was not the best. Uh, well, yesterday we started with a service project for church in the morning, which went good. I recorded two more videos in the afternoon, which was good. And then uh, last night my wife was kind of doubled over in pain and was not so good. So four and a half hours later at the ER, we find out she has diverticulitis. So we got in about eh, a little after midnight, but it's uh, amazing what a little morphine can do for you. So she is doing much better now, luckily. Yeah. Um, but that's that's how we spent our night last night. And then uh, today she's she's a trooper. She's hanging in there. Yeah. And we had a uh, actually a um, party for her grandma who turned 99 years old today. My goodness. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> we were just fresh in from that party. Uh, got in about I don't know 15, 20 minutes ago. So like I said, all in all, it's been a week. I I guess so. You gotta. Heavy plate on your uh, on your hands. For yeah, sure. for sure. <laughs> well, uh, definitely our thoughts and prayers are for you and your wife. So yeah, well, thank you. We appreciate that. Absolutely, absolutely. That is quite a bit. Uh, well, again, thank you for coming on. Um, our week, like like Julie said, I'll end with me. Uh, has been pretty good. This last four last four days, uh, we decided to go to New York City, sans kids, and uh, just the just the two of us. It's been a long time since we've done that. And uh, we went on that Loma walk. We saw, I saw on Instagram, um, on the Lomography website that, or Lomography USA, that they're going to have a Loma walk in New York City and we're five hours away. So I thought, hey, I'd really like to do this. Didn't really know if we would be able to, but Julie was saying, hey, let's go. So we went to New York City, like she said, met Birgit, uh, Friday night shot Loma Metropolis. It was all focused on Loma Metropolis and uh just shot the city in loma metropolis it was pretty cool and then uh yesterday spent the time i uh, spent our uh, time in manhattan just going on top of the world trade center and walking the brooklyn bridge going to a place i used to live in brooklyn brooklyn heights it was just a really really nice time shooting a lot of film <laughs> a lot a lot of film nice. so it was it was a lot of fun so all right 
Well, uh, let's go ahead and get on into the uh, into the interview. Now, speaking about Lomachrome Metropolis, um, Dave, one of your videos, and by the way, you're uh, for anybody who's listening who doesn't already know who you are, I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but who, for anybody who doesn't know, your um, uh, channel is called The Old Camera Guy, and you have outstanding videos. Just They're, they're happy, they're informative, they're in, enthusiastic, and I find them to be... Uh, very, very helpful. Well, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So speaking about Lomochrome Metropolis, um, when when Lomography introduced Lomochrome uh, Metropolis as a new film, I was interested, but I didn't know anything about it. So I looked on, you know, online and on YouTube for any information. And your videos, as well as Alloy Anderson's videos, were the two uh, people that really helped me. You and Alloy were the two people that helped me to decide to get into uh, Lomochrome Metropolis. And uh, since that time, I have really enjoyed the Metropolis line of, uh, of films, or not the line, but the, the, the Lomochrome Metropolis, I should say. Mm-hmm. So what I want to find out from you is what do you like about the Lomochrome Metropolis? Well, uh, a bunch of stuff. That's, it's one of my favorite stocks too. Uh, if it cost a little bit less, I'd probably shoot it a little bit more. Like a lot, like a lot of stocks, I guess, and like a lot of us, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's gritty, it's grungy. I like the contrast of it. I like the uh, slightly muted tones, but you know, some colors like red kind of pops out a little bit more, so that stands out more. Uh, I've only shot the original formulation, which was why 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. And I know they came out with a newer one. I have not shot the newer one yet, but uh, the original flavor, I'm I'm all for it. Really dig it. That's nice. Um, yeah, I really I enjoy the Metropolis as well for the for very similar reasons. It's really contrasty, mm-hmm. um, and all the all the things that you said that grunginess is just awesome. I did happen to shoot one roll of the well. I'm in in the process of shooting the uh, a roll of the new uh, formulation, mm-hmm. and we'll see how they compare. I hope it's not too different like you were saying. <laughs> well, yeah, what I've heard about it is I guess the colors are supposed to be a little bit more saturated on the newer version, which, mm. you know, I don't know if that doesn't necessarily, at least on paper, appeal to me because one of the things I like is kind of the desaturation of muted tones. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if they dialed it up too much, is it going to look more like just, you know, plain old regular film? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, I'll be curious to see what you get out of that uh, role you're working on now. Yeah. Well, I'm exposing it at 400. I'm hoping I, I don't know how I've never known how to expose the Lomochrome series because it has such variability in how you can expose it. So I'm just shooting it at 400 and seeing what happens. But we'll yeah. see. <laughs> I shot the original stuff at uh, 320. And that actually was a, a tip from Aloy because he shot his at a lower ISO. And I remember him saying in his video because I watched his, I think, before I probably did mine. Oh, and uh, he just said his was overexposed. Of course, he lived in miami florida too so they've got real <laughs> sunlight down there yeah so i took a tip from him and said you know i'm going to shoot it at a little bit uh higher iso and and it it worked out well at 320 i kind of split the difference and just hedge my bets sounds great all right well suzanne you want to go on with your question first question sure okay. sure thank you so much for coming on dave it's really a joy to have you oh, um i love learning about where people live and i noticed that you live in ohio right yep yep okay. i do um, what is your favorite thing about where you live and how does it inspire you photographically? Yeah, so I live in central Ohio and it's really just about two, maybe two and a half hours to get to any point in the state because I'm centrally located again. But I don't know, probably the thing I like best about Ohio is just the variety of everything. And what I mean by that is seasons you know we get real seasons here i mean we get real winter we get real summer spring fall all of it uh fall we don't get as much as i'd like that's my favorite season and sometimes it's like you know a week and it's (laughs) it's winter um but i like the variety of seasons i like the variety of locales um i like the uh, the mix of uh, more rural stuff and then more urban stuff and i can go really probably 40 45 minutes in any direction and i've got Big cities to choose from. I've got, you know, desolate countryscapes. So mm-hmm. probably the thing I like the best is really the variety. It's, it, you know, a lot of people think of Ohio or, or treat it maybe like flyover country. It's like, well, there's nothing to see there. And I, I think if you feel like that, you're maybe you're just not looking hard enough. So I like the variety of we've got a little bit of everything. And I appreciate that. That's cool. 
That's really awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You know, speaking about that, um, or about Ohio itself, I remember the first time I visited Ohio, and I, I, I was just got uh, awestruck at how beautiful Ohio was. Um, my father-in-law is from Julie. What Kensington. is Kensington, Ohio, yeah, okay. which, which is near Canton, I guess, relatively near Canton. Not too far. I actually grew up in very pretty close there, between Akron and Canton. So, uh, I, you know, northeast Ohio. And I lived there for, what, 17 years, went down here to go to Ohio State uh, in 87. Am I that old? Yeah, 87, <laughs> 30, 35 years ago. But I ended up liking it down here. And, uh, you know, here I am 35 years later. Nice. Yeah, Ohio is beautiful, really beautiful. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Julie, what's your question, first question for Dave? Well, I think I read somewhere in an interview that you did, well, with Allie, that you're an ophthalmologist, is that right? I'm an optometrist, yeah. So I'm an eye doctor. So as an optometrist, I don't do surgery other than, you know, I'm licensed to dig out. If you get a piece of metal in your eye, I can dig it out. But if you need retinal surgery or cataract surgery, you need to go somebody smarter than me, which is not hard to find. So uh, I do a lot of a lot of eye stuff though, and I've been doing that again since '94. So like the last 28 years. That's actually why I went down to. Ohio State to college was to uh, get into that program. So yeah, I'm an eye guy. Cool. Well, the thing that that caused me to start making cameras and collecting cameras and taking pictures was seeing a picture that showed um, a camera obscura and the light going through. And then there was a drawing on this website I was on that showed an eye and how it was similar, like the mechanics were similar. And that... Was just magic. So I was just wondering if that understanding from your background, how it affects your photography. Yeah, it's really pretty cool how the the eyes and cameras are are really pretty analogous. You can kind of uh, call the retina, the back layer of the eye, is kind of the film in the camera. And to your point, I think just like a camera obscura, um, images are upside down. Uh, so it, that's that's how they are on the retina too. Your brain has to actually kind of flip it to the right orientation. Uh, so you don't fall down. Uh, and then other parts of the eye kind of relate to cameras too. Um, the aperture, of course, uh, can get bigger and smaller, just like your pupil can, depending on, you know, your light source. So in the eye, obviously, the more light you're exposed to, the the smaller your, your pupil is going to shrink down, and that's going to cause things to be more in focus or uh, more depth of field, depth of focus, I guess is maybe a better way to say it, and uh, kind of now goes to a, a camera's aperture too. So this is one of the reasons why if you make like a little pinhole and kind of look through it, things can be more clear because divergent rays of light going into your eyes get funneled through a small point and that kind of funnels it into a small point of focus on your retina, similar to how a smaller aperture is going to have more in focus too, rather as a larger aperture for the eye, for example, if your pupil expands and gets bigger at nighttime, uh, less can be in focus, which is a lot of why a lot of us Gen Xers uh, have problems <laughs> driving at night. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of spillover there between the eye and and cameras. And I guess looking back on it, you know, I decided in fifth grade, I was 10 years old, that I wanted to do the old eye thing. And that really stemmed from my own vision problems because I couldn't see the board in school. Classic story, you know, kids getting glasses for the first time. And I was amazed that, you know, I put the glasses on and I realized, oh, there's, you know, individual leaves on those trees. It's not just a big green blob. And there's individual great blades of grass. I was missing all that. And of course, you know, as a kid, I didn't know anybody. I just thought everybody saw like I did. So I decided then and there, I want to do this. So I think on some level, I've always been interested in optics. And then as I got a little bit older, it kind of carried over into the whole camera thing, which obviously when we were growing up, you know, we didn't shoot a lot of digital photography because, well, it wasn't really a thing. So <laughs> if you did if you took pictures, they were film pictures. They were not, uh, they're not digital. Yeah. That is hilarious about your vision because I was the same way. I was 13 when I got my first glasses and the -hmm. whole way home, I was going like this, camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two. And the leaves, that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, you can see them all Yep. on on there. And my dad would always say to me, because I told him, I can't see the board. And he'd be like, how many fingers am I holding up? Right. Because you don't need glasses. I'm like, He's not an eye guy, obviously. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, by the way, 
for you listeners out there, I'm I'm kind of laughing myself, not laughing at anything, just just the similarities because Julie's told this story to me a number of times, and when you said that, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that yeah. is so cool. The commonalities, yeah, uh, that you have. That's that's yeah, it's a universal thing. And actually, Mara, I've heard that from my patients too. They're like, oh yeah, I looked at the trees, and it's amazing how that's kind of a universal thing. It comes up wow. all the time. The other thing that comes up all the time, by the way, is dogs eating glasses you people need to feed your dogs so they don't eat your glasses i mean we see that more than you would think we see really? glasses are all chewed up absolutely that is a thing see it all the time yeah wow. that's good to know we have a, a one-year-old puppy so we gotta definitely keep that in mind yeah. <laughs> and i'm but, as a gen xer i'm all my life i've not worn glasses but now i have to you know wear reading glasses yeah close yeah exactly so i understand a little bit just a little yeah, tiny that's, bit <laughs> that's father time creeping in there exactly <laughs> all right well suzanne what's your next question oh well i have to say i'm gonna have to ask my daughter about the whole leaves thing on the trees because classic bad parent moment um she came to us and she was saying all the time i can't you know i'm really having a hard time seeing but it was in that i think she was third or fourth grade and it was that time when I was convinced that she just wanted glasses. Yes. Because it was cool. And so we told her, like, you're fine. And uh, then she came home with her report from school when they actually test your eyes. And we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll have to ask her about the leaves. I'd never heard about that. That's kind of fascinating. Um, well, my question is, obviously, you are really big on YouTube, which your videos, I agree with Mario, they're fantastic. So informative and just your delivery and presentation is, I, I love it. Um, I'm wondering where you go to learn. Do you go seek out other photography informations via, information via YouTube or photo books or how do you go to, how do you learn? Yeah, that's actually a good question. If I had to think about it, I, you know, I'm not a big photo book guy. Um, I have some photo books, I appreciate them. I don't have time to look at them. I wish I looked at them more, had more time to do that, but I'm out busy doing other things. Uh, so photo books are a good resource. Um, there's a lot of stuff online, you know, not that we want to, you know, spend all of our waking hours looking at a screen like we're doing right now. <laughs> but uh, uh, YouTube is a good source. You know, a lot of people call it YouTube University. If you got a question, where do you go? You know, YouTube. YouTube is the number two search engine by volume uh, behind Google, which owns YouTube. So it's kind of the two sides of the same coin, I guess. But uh, I think I have learned a lot on YouTube. Um, Facebook, as much as we like to say everybody hates Facebook, and I do too, uh, count me in. <laughs> but I, I find inspiration, I think, in some of the groups that I think a lot of us are already in. Um, mm -hmm. Just looking at other people's photographs um, is somewhat Instagram, but probably I don't spend as much time on Instagram. But just looking at all the groups on Facebook, um, I've, I've learned a lot from that, but probably more importantly, gotten more inspiration from that. You'll see a picture and think, that is really cool. How do they do that? And then you kind of do some more research on it. Or how can I apply some of these principles to my photography? So believe it, as, believe it or not, as much as we like to rail on uh, Facebook, that's the one good useful thing I gotta get out of is the uh, the groups. And I, I think a lot, I would assume a lot of you can kind of relate to that too. I mean, that's mm -hmm. honestly, that's the main reason I'm on Facebook. If I wasn't in all these groups, looking at other people's uh, photography, interacting in the community, um, I don't see a lot, a lot of other use for it. I mean, they're, you know, funny cat pictures. I guess that's a thing. But, uh, <laughs> those, are always, those are always cool. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I love the Facebook there, groups. You know, look at all the political rants and all that stuff. I tolerate that when I have to, but that's, that's, that's not my thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely agree. I love the groups. I mean, it's so nice to be able to pop in there and, and ask a question, you know, like with my lift printing, you know, I can read all the books and everything, but sometimes that hands-on experience of somebody who's just tried something that you're, you know, I don't know. It's, I agree. The groups are, are really a good, a good part of Facebook. That's, that's interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. It's true that it seems like the, the living communications with each other are a lot more helpful. And I, I don't want, mean to say that against people who have, you know, the, the masters who have passed away, their work was awesome, but it's the living communications that we have that really inspire me too. You know, it's like, we're all kind of doing this together. So we're feeding off each other and making it more of a, uh, you know, more, not only more of a thing, but also helping each other along, along the way, you know? 
Well, yeah. I mean, it's not like you can just ring up Ansel Adams and ask him a question, but you know, right. your peers, you know, if I have a question about list printing, I'm going to ask Suzanne or uh, I know she's, I think, leaned on uh, Mike Kukovec, I think, has, mm-hmm. has kind of guided you with some of your uh, darkroom work and yep. up on with that. So, yeah, the film community and, and some of these groups and everything uh, are a great resource. Absolutely. You can reach out to people. And I think by and large, at least my experience has been people have been pretty open to that interaction. And, um, you know, I, I've not really seen too much of the whole gatekeeping thing. And I don't know, maybe that's me, but I've been uh, lucky so far in those kind of interactions, I think. Yes, that's awesome. I agree. Well, thinking about your um, your YouTube channel, you know, your you and I both share this commonality. We're both uh, film old. photographers. Yeah, old or Gen Xers, <laughs> <laughs> but we're both film photographers. Yep. So that's a, a hobby and a passion we have. We're also content providers or con- content creators. You own a YouTube channel. I run I run a podcast. Yep. And. So how do you balance the two out? Do they help each other out? How do they feed each other? What What is your, um, I guess, suggestion to to those, uh, you know, fellow film photographers who might want to become a content creator in some manner? Yeah, I like the way you said it, how, you know, how do they feed each other? They definitely feed each other in that. I will be honest, if, if I weren't on YouTube creating these videos that I try to put out regularly or semi-regularly, I don't think... Well, no, I know. I know I wouldn't shoot as much film as I do because mm-hmm. I shoot a pretty good amount. And, you know, you can relate to this as content creators yourselves mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, you're always looking for the next the next thing, whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast, whether it's your posts on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Reels, TikTok, whatever you do, mm-hmm. um, you're always looking for the next thing. And, you know, to feed that, you know, you've got to get out and shoot. So, again, if I weren't on YouTube creating these videos fairly regularly I wouldn't shoot as much uh, and this may be a weird thing to say but I don't I don't want to say that I don't shoot just for fun as much anymore but I think that's probably a fair statement but you know, the other side of that is all shooting is fun mm-hmm. you know, I, I just maybe the better way to say it is I don't shoot that much just to shoot so a lot of times I have uh, you know the end game or end goal is to provide more content but Another way to look at that, or at least the way I look at it, is I almost think of my YouTube videos as projects. So it's like, well, this this time I have this project. It's a weak project. You know, most of them are not for months and months at a time because I can't take or choose not to take three, four months to put together one video. Um, if I did, my videos might be better. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks, whatever it is. Um, but having said that, also at the same time, painters are like this too i do paint and i kind of dabble on that too but i'm not just working on one project at a time or one video at a time mm-hmm. right now i've got five 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 raw videos on my computer waiting to be edited about all you know five different topics right so but i work on them you know a little bit at a time then i just have to kind of push one of them forward if it's particularly timely or um you know something i need to get out soon for various reasons that'll kind of take priority. And then if uh, if I don't have anything that's very, you know, time sensitive, then I'll just work on whatever I want to or whatever I think I can finish in a, again, timely fashion. Having mm-hmm. said that, I completely whiffed on uh, pinhole day. And unlike Suzanne, I did not shoot one Polaroid during <laughs> Polaroid week. So I know there's going to be another one in the fall. So eh, we'll see. I got a 50 50 shot of uh, hitting that one too. We'll see. Wish me luck. Okay, sounds good. You know, th- when you said that you have a number of different projects going on, it's kind of, it, it reminds me of myself having a number of different cameras with film in them, yeah. and then trying to get around to, to each one and shooting them, making sure to keep them fresh and, you know, in, in rotation. It yep. can be a challenge to to keep it all balanced, but I must say you do a masterful job at doing both the photography aspect. I r- really appreciate your photos, the photos themselves. They're all I love them. I really do love them. Thank and you. then your videos are just spot on. I, I really love your videos. So I, 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 that's why I wanted to ask you is how you balance out, balance out to two, the two. So thank you for uh, uh, helping that, helping with yeah, that. Yeah, you know, you talk about the video aspect and I started on YouTube. It was July 22nd of 2018. So I guess here in a few months, we're coming up on four years and the style, my style, at least on YouTube, has definitely changed 
over those four years, which I guess is a good thing. If, if mm -hmm. I stayed the same as I was four years ago, then that doesn't speak very well for my growth, I suppose. Yeah. But um, the style is definitely different. So now I don't necessarily have a formula because a lot of my videos are there's well, there's different formats, you know, right? yeah. whether you're doing a, a, a film review, whether you're doing a camera review, whether you're just uh, shooting a new stock for the first time, if you're doing experimental techniques. Uh, like something like film soup or, uh, you know, I like weird films, right? Psych blues, Revlog, all this weird stuff. Uh, but anyway, the format sometimes will be dictated by what you're shooting that week or that week and a half or two week, whatever the period is. But um, my videos now, I try to include, you know, there's talking head segments. And what I've learned is just say what you need to say and then get out of the way, right? <laughs> you know, nobody wants to see an old guy sit there and talk for like three hours about something when you can, if you can say the same thing in, you know, three minutes versus 10 minutes, it's usually, but more often than not, it's better to say it in three minutes because people get bored. And that's very much true uh, for YouTube in general. Uh, consumption on YouTube, I looked at my analytics and, you know, the, the age range, I'm older, dare I say, probably we're older, Mm -hmm. Then about 85% of the people that watch, because it, it, my analytics break things down by age, mm -hmm. and uh, 80, 85% of my uh, viewers are younger than 50, I believe. Okay. So um, it's a different mindset, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's not, not really attention span, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the MTV generation after that, you know, music videos with real, you know, real quick cuts like this. Mm -hmm. If you look at some, you know, watch some of these older movies and they've got static shots and they, they stay on the same thing for quite a while. And if you do that now, I found that, especially on YouTube, for example, again, the attention span, you, you've got to have some kind of disruptor, whether it's put a graphic on screen, you know, zoom mm -hmm. in tighter on yourself or cut to B-roll. That's a popular thing. B-roll, yeah. right, Suzanne? Uh, oh, so yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff, uh, if you keep it moving, it, I think it tends to keep people's interest or I don't want to say tricks them into watching more, but maybe they just don't, it just holds the interest better, I suppose. Yeah. So I, looking back on some of my older videos, um, personality almost seems different too. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I think it's very common for a lot of content creators. And I certainly fall into this where you feel more, um, I don't know, more wooden at first where you just you want to present the information mm -hmm. and you just, you know, you, you're so focused on spitting out the information that the style in which you're presenting it maybe takes kind of a back seat. Yeah. And I think at least in my case, I hope that the more I've done it, that the presentation and the style changes. Um, so I appreciate what you said about, you know, you know presenting the video and then the, the photographs. But I try to do, you know, a, a decent balance of both and the, the biggest thing for me now that's changed in the last uh, i guess two month month or two is picked up a drone oh, oh wow incorporate some aerial footage and i am absolutely terrified every time i fly this thing because when you <laughs> you, you know you hit the little thing for takeoff and first of all you, there's a lot of places you can't fly they're restricted zones mm -hmm. and luckily it'll let you know that but sometimes it's kind of iffy and it says you have to like sign a little like a, or hit a little disclaimer saying hey, if you fly and you get arrested or killed, it's not my fault. So, you know, I'll, I'll hit that and take the chance and do it. But it's kind of startling. I don't know if you have any experience with any of you have experience with drones, but when they take off, it flies up to about four feet high. And every single time I've done it so far, I jump out of my skin and I'm scared. Oh, wow. And I calm down. I'm like, you know what? What's the worst thing that can happen is, you know, you crash your drone, you're out a few hundred bucks, which is not great. But uh, luckily so far, knock on wood here, <laughs> I haven't crashed it yet. But I think that's the next aspect I'm going to try to explore my videos is uh, just try to change some of the footage. And again, B-roll and get just get a different perspective. And I'm working on one right now where I took a picture in a, or I took some some footage in a uh, kind of an abandoned farmhouse and a big field around it. And uh, it was really cool to explore that. Um, but I hopefully as I do it a little bit more. My confidence is, is going to grow. And it's kind of funny. you know. I think it's kind of trendy these days to say that um, gear doesn't matter. And it, it, I think the point of that, I'm, I'm actually going to talk about this in one of my upcoming videos. It, it doesn't matter in the sense that it's not as important as the photographer's eye or the photographer's experience. And I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. But the gear enters into the conversation. To, to, just to say that it doesn't matter at all, I think is probably too naive or too simplified of a, of a view. And I'm just I'm experiencing that now with, like I said, with the drone footage, I'm trying to incorporate just a little, you know, just little snippets here and there. I haven't really overdone it that much, but 
it's definitely changed my perspective and the outcome of some of my videos. And I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that more as I get hopefully more comfortable with flying this darn thing. <laughs> That's cool. You know, uh, the thought that gear doesn't matter, um, I, I understand that mindset because we do want to be more conscious about our our vision and our uh our our own capabilities but i can tell you coming on this trip to new york city i came with two cameras both with 135 millimeter lenses i love that focal length oh, however yeah. <laughs> shooting the city with 135 is challenging oh to get to get a, a you know a wide angle you yeah, know, view of the city. It just can't happen. So right. gear does matter. <laughs> well, I tell you, that's the video I'm working on now is for that 135 challenge you did from Brace to Grain. And um, that one, it, not only is it hard to shoot the city with 135, I found it was hard to shoot anything. <laughs> I mean, my, my favorite, and I'm going to talk about this in my video coming up, but my favorite lens by far, the one I use the most, I think, is it's a 40 millimeter. It's Canon EOS lens. It's a 40 millimeter, the F2.8 pancake lens. Sherry Christensen's talked about this a few times on her podcast and online. And I'm so used to seeing the world and framing my shots through that 40 millimeter lens that I put this 135 on and I just felt like I was like right on top, like I was breathing over everything. It's just <laughs> yeah. so zoomed in, so tight. And just like you said, Mari, it was that was a big challenge. And I mean, it was a, it was I don't want to say rude awakening, but it was it was not easy. Yeah. No not easy at all yeah um, but there's something endearing to me about it. i think m maybe p possibly because the first because the first 135 millimeter lens that i got was from a free camera and it was like the two were the two that i met both the land the lens and the camera as a combination and so to yeah. me it's they're kind of cemented together and yep. i just kind of fell in love with the the focal length but my goodness there are definite limitations uh for most situations i i, I like to get down on the ground and kind of shoot you know things that you know it helps me to feel like i'm close up to this whatever particular object i'm i'm shooting while being relatively far away and it does kind of compress the space in between but for anything other than that it is it is difficult so yeah, yeah gear gear definitely matters did you share what two cameras you uh, took to uh, new york uh both were pentax spotmatics and both were vivitar 135 millimeter f1.8 uh 2.8s so it okay. almost almost exactly the same camera and lens combination. Wow. Now, uh, Julie, if I can ask, what cameras did you end up taking? I brought a Polaroid. Yep. I brought a 110 Baby Diana. I brought um, a Pentax K1000, and I brought this little... Oh, you see, see. Yeah. Nice. Wow, you were quite the multitasker. I also have a 4x5 pinhole camera waiting in the car. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not playing games that's that. that's pretty hardcore right there <laughs> five I different formats bring, i wanted to bring my borrowed speed press named harold i named it harold they might not like that i named it but i was so afraid i might break it in the city oh yeah because it's not mine but oh, it's my favorite yeah. camera at the moment nice i've never dabbled in uh well i actually haven't done pinhole or four by five so i guess either one of those things they're, those two are my favorites. I ended, ended up getting a, a, a Holga wide uh, pinhole camera for Christmas, actually. My brother and sister-in-law got it for me. Still sitting in the box. So it's on my uh, ever-growing to-do list one of these days. It's a great camera. I have one. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, Suzanne, what's your next question? Um, Julie, or a girl after my own heart. I, I would travel with that many cameras, too. Just saying. <laughs> Maybe it's a girl thing. I don't know. Well, Mario um, carried my bag for me because I was dying with it. Yeah, it was nice. so much. So, Dave, you probably kind of answered my question um, by saying that you focus a little more on content creation now with your YouTube channel versus just going out and shooting for yourself. Yep. But if you could humor me. And you say so you were just going out shooting for yourself. Do you have a favorite genre? My, my question is kind of two parts. Like, is there, what are you drawn to? Do you like to, you know, street or landscape or portraiture or, or whatever? Um, but also wondering that if you could photograph anything or anybody, like any place or era, do you have, what, what would be your hot ticket? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't do a lot of portraiture, mostly because I'm not around a lot of people. 
It's, well, yeah. I, mean, I guess all of us can say that for the last two years, I suppose. Right. It's hopefully changing a little bit now. Um, but having said that, though, maybe pushing myself out of my comfort zone, if I had to pick any span of time, any place I could be, um, one of the things I really like would be going back to like the, the 1940s or 50s and shooting jazz clubs in <gasps> New York, right where you pipers are right now. Um, <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Mm. Uh, that would be pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. You know, not that, uh, you know, I'm not a smoker, but I'd have to put up a little secondhand smoke to go to this, you know, back then everybody smoked in the clubs. Mm. Uh, but that was part of the atmosphere. And as you know, much as I wouldn't like to breathe it in, just capturing it on film, I think would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not really an option now. Uh, so the stuff I shoot now, I shoot a lot of, um, I guess if I had to put uh, a word on it, solitude, I guess. Uh, I like things that are not really lonely, but, you know, I, I find myself maybe a little bit inspired by the paintings of Edward Hopper. You know, which sounds maybe kind of weird as a photographer to, to cite a painter as as inspiration. Mm-hmm. But I've said this uh, in other platforms that nobody captured solitude like Hopper. And, you know, that's something I kind of aspire to. So, you know, it's and it's kind of cliche. And I'm not talking about gas stations. Of course, I've done my share of that, too. But, uh, you know, I can't pass an old rundown barn or, uh, you know, an old farmhouse, something like that. And, of course, in Ohio, those are in no short supply. Mm-hmm. Um that's the kind of stuff I'm kind of drawn to, whether it's the old textures, uh, maybe just the fact that they're old. And this, you know, maybe sounds kind of weird, but the older I get, it's like you don't you don't want to feel like you're outliving your usefulness. So maybe capturing some of these old structures, showing mm-hmm. that there is maybe potential beauty there. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's part of what, what I'm doing or, or part of my inspiration. But um, again, I like, you know, rural settings. Uh, urban decay is kind of a cool thing, too. Again, I, I don't do as much of that, but. Here in Ohio, there's also no small or no shortage of uh, small towns. And again, this kind of alludes to what I was mentioning earlier in the podcast that I can go, you know, 40 minutes, half hour, 30, 40 minutes in any direction. And I've got another couple, three, four small towns on the map I can explore. And that's that's one of the things I really like is just, you know, walking around. Got a couple of rolls of film, usually 35. Sometimes I'll bring my Pentax 6-7 and uh, just, you know, shoot what I find. So I don't always have like a agenda ahead of time it's like i've got a destination it's like okay i picked a city or town and uh just explore go and see what's there so that's that's my favorite thing is to find a town that i haven't been to before having said that uh after making videos for the last four years i'm up to i think 175 videos maybe something like that so we're closing in on 200 uh i'm starting to run out of small towns so (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm gonna have to go a little bit farther like maybe two hours out or an hour or something hour and a half and kind of expand my uh, horizons but that's the kind of stuff i love small town life in ohio um mm-hmm. that's the stuff i dig the most probably i like that i like your uh saying you like solitude that's really cool mm-hmm. very that's, cool that's awesome. very it seems almost cathartic right yeah mm-hmm. oh, i agree 100 percent. yep do that well julie what's your uh, next question well it you answered part of it with that one so um mm-hmm. I'm very new to taking pictures. I'm just finishing six months, my first six months of doing it. You know, I've always been an artist, but more drawing or pens, charcoal is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and But looking through Instagram and starting to follow different people, like I can now spot your pictures without having to see your name. And I'm like, that's a Mahali photo. <laughs> that's a Mahali photo as I go through. So um, I find you, even though you have different things that you're shooting they have kind of they have a unique style that's identifiable like a painter you know you can say that's a van gogh or whatever monet you know i'm like that's a mahali so with your with your style and with the different things like you have a lot of pictures of your kids well mostly your older son yep and your wife yep yep. railroads gas stations fields barns trees trees (laughs) the Ohio big boulders in the woods. Um, Do you have, you just were mentioning solitude. So I was wondering if with your look and your kind of targeted subjects, do you have like an underlying kind of message as an artist that you're trying to convey or um, is it just, that's what catches your eye or is there a meaning 
And are you thinking of someday making a Mahali photo book with your pictures? Yeah, you know what? I'll answer that last part first in that I have plans for a zine I'd like to do. So maybe not a full-blown big book, but a zine. I think it's a little bit less uh, intimidating for somebody who hasn't done a lot of this kind of stuff yet. But uh, I went out and shot uh, the town of Mansfield, which is, again, about an hour from where I live, hour north of where I live in central Ohio. And it was during, um, I mean, the throes of the pandemic. This would have been like maybe May of 2020. So uh, and it was not a problem to be more than six feet away from people because there was nobody out. Uh, so, you know, I had a mask just in case I encountered somebody, but I was really felt like the last man on Earth, honestly. But I took pictures during that time and uh, I took them on uh, my Vivitar ultra wide and slim. So about as you know, we talk about gear doesn't matter. I mean, that's about as low fi as you can get. Uh, it's just a little hunk of plastic. And I took it on, if I recall correctly, Kent Mirror 400 film. I wanted to get about the cheapest film I could find to get some grit and some grunge and some grain. And uh, I think at some point that's that's going to become a zine. It's just a matter of buckling down and doing it, um, which I haven't done yet. And part of it is, again, because of all the other content creation, it's like, well, if I want to get these videos out, it's almost like I have to give myself permission to put that part on hold and just concentrate and, and do a zine or something like that. And eventually, you know, maybe a book, I, I do like that idea, but I think just to kind of ease into it, to dip my toes in the water, probably a zine first. Uh, and I'll give away the, I'll give away my title first though. And this, maybe this will hold me accountable. So now if I say the title, I'll have to do it. Uh, <laughs> my plan is calling it American Idol, but the idol is I-D-L-E. Because there is no, there was nobody in these scenes. Like I said, it was just uh, old, and some of them were old factories that are defunct. They get closed down. So got the title, got the pictures. I uh, just got to put it together. So hopefully one of these days. As far as style, inspiration, uh, what I'm drawn to is there, you know, deep meaning behind it. I'm drawn to certain things. Uh, again, I mentioned the solitude as as one of the big factors. Uh, age, textures, all of that. Uh, if there's elements of my style, part of it has to do with the whole gear thing we we're talking about before in that my my favorite uh, lens, again, is that 40 millimeter F2 pan uh, pancake lens. And that's kind of how I see things. So that's, you know, not super wide, but a little bit wider than the 50, definitely wider than that 135. Uh, you've been shooting, Mario. And, and I just kind of that's how I see the world. So if you look at my style, it's, you know, moderately wide angle. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If there's uh, a photographic inspiration into, in addition to Edward Hopper, I mentioned before, as far as painters concerned, um, maybe the works of some of the WPA photographers uh, back years ago, like Walker Evans. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I classify my, my, classify my stuff as documentary style, but just simple, straightforward, um, not too flashy. I guess is another way just again simplicity so that goes that's again i think probably the other side of the coin with solitude is simplicity so that's definitely an element if i have a style that's an element of it i think cool kentmere 400 is i love that film i'll have to look yeah. are those pictures on your instagram they're on my computer sitting here i was gonna say i'll have <laughs> to go gotta, see if i can yeah, find I them yeah you'll see them uh eventually <laughs> well we'll watch for your when you put out your title. Thank you. I'll let you know. <laughs> All right. Suzanne, what question do you have next? That's a great title, by the way. I love that. <laughs> so clever. People are so clever. Um, so you talked about, um, or on your channel, I noticed that you review a lot of maybe the lesser known, I mean, the known, Lomography is known, but like not Kodak or Fuji or stuff. So you seem to, to have a lot about less expensive cameras or maybe not mainstream films and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if through your research on doing your channel, have you found a favorite combo? Have you found something that you didn't think you'd like, but you ended up loving or um, that you just discovered, okay, this is my new go-to as far as either films or gear or... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So when it comes to cameras, uh, and again, this is not, you know, these are not trendy and maybe that's why I like them, but uh, Mike Gutterman's talked about this on uh, negative pauses many times, but the plastic whiz-bang cameras from the autofocus cameras from the 90s, early 2000s, uh, I'm kind of a Canon fanboy. And how that came about was I went to a thrift store. They had a Canon Rebel G 
with a kit lens and it came with a bag, a couple other accessories, and it was 17 bucks. And so I got it for 17 bucks. You know, this was several, many years ago. And ever since then, I'm a Canon guy. It's it just simply, you know, if they if they had a Nikon there for 17 bucks, I'd be a Nikon guy, honestly. <laughs> but uh, that's not what they had that day at the thrift store. So I'm a Canon guy. Here we are, you know, two decades later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the Canon Rebel series, you know, again, not trendy. It's not the sexy mechanical beast. You know, it's not like a Nikon F or something like that. But the Canon Rebel series, they're, they're lightweight. Um, Right now, they're still, I guess, relatively cheap. I mean, cheap is, again, a relative term. Everything's gone up in price, which is kind of a good and bad thing, I suppose. But um, they're not going to cost you an arm or leg, even even today. And uh, they're very capable, lightweight. Again, you pair one of those Rebel bodies with uh, that 40-millimeter pancake lens, and it weighs next to nothing. You can carry it all day. And again, I like that perspective. So those are probably what I shoot with the most, what I like the best. But to your point before, yeah, I like a lot of the... um, unsung heroes i guess you know i i had a yashica t4 which is you know that's one of the trendier ones i sold it you know it's kind of funny if i have something trendy i like to sell it just because i don't know why i, just, I like to buck the trend maybe i don't know yeah um i have a, a, a olympus stylus epic but i don't shoot it that much um it's an okay camera i like it but i don't know if i like it any better than some of the other ones uh some of the unsung ones that i like uh, the nikon light touch af it's also known as the af uh, 600 that is a very capable camera. It's not. It's not. The lens is not quite as fast as uh, some of the other ones I mentioned. It's. I think it's a 3.5 lens, but it's very thin. So form factor, I like that. I like a, a camera I can slip my pocket and just take it out whenever I want to. So form factor matters to me. So I like some of the small ones. I mentioned the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim before. That's another one that's you know tiny, um, but the Nikon is a nice one. Uh, the Minolta AFC is another one that's autofocus. Its form factor is it's kind of similar to the Lomo LCA, which is really my first. That was really my first 35 millimeter camera. You know, growing up back in the day when I did, I was born in '69, so I grew up in the '70s, '80s, and we were a lower middle class family, so we didn't. I never really saw a 35 millimeter camera growing up. We had cartridge cameras, right? You know, your 110s. 110, yeah. 26, right? That was a thing. So you know, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't have professional gear in the 70s and 80s, you had one of these cartridge cameras, and that's what I grew up with. So, first 35 millimeter camera I came uh, came along was the Lomo LCA, and it was not the LCA Plus, um, so it doesn't have all the fancy doodads that the new one has. But that's really what kind of cemented uh, my interest in film photography, and it's kind of a, I don't know if it's trendy, but it's it's it was viewed as a definitely a cult camera. But uh, that's what kind of got the whole ball rolling for me. So that's another one of my old favorites. But the Minolta AFC is, it's not exactly an autofocus version of the Lomo LCA, but it's, the two have a lot of similarities. But again, the, the Minolta is autofocus. So that's, uh, I think, an underrated camera, one that hopefully people latch onto and, and, you know, get at a reasonable price. You know, I can't see myself buying one of the trendier cameras like some of these contacts cameras you know he can drop a couple grand on them now and you know if the electronics go bad you've got a two thousand dollar paperweight basically Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things maybe i like about um some of this more inexpensive gear is that if it's raining you know and i've got a two dollar camera you know (laughs) camera gets destroyed what i'm out two bucks i'm not out two thousand you know right so that's another reason uh i think i would be again petrified to carry around you know really expensive gear worrying that Am I going to drop it? Am I going to ding it? Is it going to get wet? Is it, you know, something's going to happen to it and then I'm out, you know, $1,000. But the only, yeah, maybe sort of trendy, definitely more expensive camera I have is the Pentax 6.7. Um, that's the closest camera I have to a trendy camera, I guess. And uh, that's, so I basically have one expensive camera and a bunch of junk. But <laughs> I, I like to see what I get out of the junk too. And I, you know, I think that I view it almost as a challenge. It's like, well, I want to see how good of a picture I can get out of a two or three dollar camera and that's why i really kind of embraced the kind of the ethos behind uh, sherry christensen when she started the frugal film project i'm like mm-hmm. this is awesome you know <laughs> all the cameras now it's up to 75 dollars and again most of my cameras are way under 75 dollars and you know cheap roll of film just see what you can do with it every month and i've i've really enjoyed that both this year and i started with it last year is just to again see what you can get with humble gear and that kind of gets back to you know the theme we were talking about before gear doesn't matter and we talked about in some ways it does matter. But, you know, again, the flip side is, you know, you don't have to have a thousand dollar, two thousand dollar camera to get good results. And again, it's all about the results you want to get. You know, if you want a lo-fi aesthetic, 
sometimes the cheaper cameras can give you that more than an expensive camera can. So it's all about what we want to get out of it. But I enjoy the challenge and you almost feel a sense of accomplishment if you get a really nice picture out of a two or three dollar camera or, you know, using something like you can't mirror one of the cheaper films. Mm-hmm. Uh, you almost feel like, hey, this actually looks pretty good and it didn't cost me an arm and leg. So there's there's something to be said for that, too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love my 110 cameras still. <laughs> yep, absolutely. They're awesome. They can make some really cool pictures. I know they're grainy, but that's what I love about them. They're just like dense, dense grain. <laughs> yep. And it looks like you took it on film because you did. Because you did. Exactly. <laughs> I love awesome. that. Well, you know, um, thinking about cheap cameras um, and film, I wanted to, before I ask this question, you, you're not too fond of red scale film, right? It's very funny you bring that up, uh, Mario, because <laughs> just actually last night while I was in the hospital with my wife, I was actually writing a script for <laughs> Red Scale <laughs> Film, a video I'm going to do here sometime, I don't know, probably next month or so. Okay. Yeah, they wheeled her down to take her ultrasound. I'm like, all right, you stay here. I'm like, okay. And uh, <laughs> I just kind of jotted down some notes while I was waiting. I didn't have anything better to do because I couldn't go into the ultrasound with her. So um, Red Scale, I like. I wouldn't shoot it every day. Okay. Um, and I'm too lazy to roll it myself. So if I do red scale, it's going to be a Lomography or, you know, red rum from Cinesto or something like that. Right. Um, just because I know it's not hard to do, you yeah. know, and, you know, you've you've got tutorials on it. You're kind of spreading the gospel of the whole red scale thing and showing people how to do it. But I think you have to have the at least for me, the right subject for it. Okay. And uh, I shot it in uh, Pentax 6.7 probably about a month and a half ago or maybe two months ago now. And I actually did like the results I get. So I think if you choose your subject wisely, okay. you can get really cool results. And again, you have to be open to unexpected results, too, because as you know, you don't really know what you're going to get. And you've, you know, you mentioned this before with some of the other um, Lomachrome films uh, like Metropolis, that sort of thing. The ISO you shoot at makes a big difference. Yes, it does. Yeah. And you have to you almost have to just kind of experiment, try different ISOs, just get out there and do it and see what you get. Mm-hmm. So the first roll you shoot, it's. You know, I don't want to say it's kind of a crapshoot, but it really kind of is. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get to the second or third roll, you kind of figure out, oh, yeah, in this light, if I shoot at this ISO and do this, uh, you can get good results. But I know you're a red scale guy, so I wouldn't say I'm against red scale. I just I wouldn't shoot it every day, though. I've, I've shot it in 35. I have shot it in 120 now. I have not shot it in 110. I know that's a thing. You can get that uh, lobster, that 110 from mammography, but I, I haven't tried that yet. Is there a is film there a- that, uh, that you're not real fond of? So you're a film I'm not real fond of. Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't tried every film out there. I know some are more challenging than others. I will say this. Here's a hot take for you. Uh, Kodak, Triax. Okay. I like the look of it. But where I live in Ohio, when I develop it, it curls, it cups. I mean, it looks like you, it looks like film that got a perm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. that's how curly it gets and how cupped it gets. And just to kind of, you know, unroll or, you know, roll it the other way and just do your little trick, send it under, you know, bunch of books, whatever you do to kind of flatten it out. Um, I just as soon shoot something else. So it's not, I love the look of Triax, but I've shot very few rolls of it because my experience is developing it. Again, whether it's the humidity, no, I don't know what it is, my, my climate, whatever it is, a lot of curling and cupping. So that's one aspect. So I don't really, it's not that I don't like the film, yeah. but I don't shoot it because it's a very <laughs> practical, you know, um, reason. If I didn't develop my own film, if I just, you know, farmed it out or sent it to a lab, I'd probably shoot it a lot, but I develop almost everything I shoot now because I can't really afford to send it to a lab. To shoot the volume of film that I do, um, it's just, economically it's not feasible to to send it out to a lab. I can do it, but you know, every once in a while, uh, I'll take color film. We have a local lab called McAllister Photo Works, and it's it's actually in the next plaza to to one of my offices. It's very close to where I work. And they're great because they can do color film. They can uh, develop it for you. I don't usually get prints, but they can uh, they can do dev and scan. Mm-hmm. Roll of uh, 36 exposures for uh, 35 millimeter is 10 bucks. And wow. you get it same day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've gone there where I'll go there at like, you know, they open at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And by noon or 1230, they'll say, all right, your film's done. I'm like, huh? Like two, two and a half hours is done. You know, for 10 bucks, every once in a while, if I, let's say I want to get a video out, I'm working on, you know, a a pretty short deadline, um, they're a great resource. Now, they don't do black and white like that. Uh, They don't do 120. But if I have, you know, just your random run-of-the-mill 
35 millimeter color film c41 um every once in a while i'll drop it off there or if i don't if i don't have chemicals at home to do c41 you know or if i have like one roll and i've got you know my my c41 kit i've already run you know 20 some rolls through it which i do uh it's like i don't want to chance this one so i'll just give it to the lab and let them do it And again if i get it back the same day for 10 bucks that's pretty good absolutely yeah absolutely well i for my last question um you know you did a video relatively recently and i did a podcast uh, you know a solo show relatively recently kind of about the same thing and that is the state of the film photography in 2022 yeah. So what do you think of um, as far as like the future of film photography? What do you think? How do you feel about the future of analog photography? I think I feel largely optimistic. So do I think it's going to be around forever? Uh, maybe not, you know, but uh, people talked about this before that, you know, there's always there's alternative processes that if mainstream commercial film goes away, you know, there's there's other things you can do. You can coat your own plates and go really old school, right? Mm. That that might still be a thing as long as you get a hold of the chemicals and that sort of thing. But I think in the short term, whether you talk 5, 10, 20 years, I think we're in a pretty good position. You know, younger people coming up, it's it's um, fashionable for people to, you know, hate on hipsters and, oh, these, you know, these kids today, you know, get off my lawn and, you know, I don't have a problem with you know, younger people shooting film, whether they're hipsters or whatever you want to call them. I think it's great because I think it helps all of us, all of our generation um, to keep film around longer, you know, because, you know, none of us, nobody's getting any younger. Mm. But if there's a younger generation that can help sustain the industry, I'm 100 percent for this. So you won't hear me badmouthing uh, the younger generation shooting film. Like I said, that's who's watching my videos. Right. It's all younger people for the most 85 percent younger people. Um which I think is great. So I think because of that demand, it's going to it's going to help the help the industry. Uh, these cameras that we're all using, they're not they're not getting any younger either. Right. I mean, the one concern, I think a legitimate concern is uh, as repair men, uh, repair women uh, are getting older, retiring, dying, whatever the case is. Um, that's a concern is that, you know, there's only so many cameras to go around. And if there aren't people there to replace them. Uh, or to repair them, that could be an issue. So that's why I think, you know, going forward, manufacturing new cameras, because again, these cameras we have are not going to last forever. So as they, as the cameras and the repair people die, you know, there's got to be something to replace them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've talked before, we talked quite a bit today about Lomography and, you know, what they do. People say, well, there's no camera, no new cameras being produced. There's not a lot of, you know, SLRs being produced. I mean, I'll give you that, new ones of those. You know, I can probably count on one hand what's being produced now, if that. But there's a lot of ca- there's a lot of new cameras being produced, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's instant film. You know, you can find Instax at, at Target. You can get your camera there, right? Brand new camera, yeah. new film, and that film's not going anywhere. That's the one thing that Fuji probably won't pull the plug on because it's profitable for them. Right. Uh, but Lomography, too. So, you know, again, it goes back to what aesthetic you're looking for. If you want a lo-fi aesthetic... Uh, you know, get a sprocket rocket, right? They're great. Mm-hmm. Fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a little harder to scan maybe, but it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they have a lot of fun products. So uh, again, it depends on what you're looking for, but I guess the take-home message for me is I don't think film uh, or the industry is going away soon. It may no. change. Well, it will change, right? Everything changes. Right. So is it going to be the same 20 years from now as it is now? No. Is anything going to be the same 20 years from now? No right? The one constant has changed. So everything's going to change. It's hard to, you know, look in the crystal ball and think what what we're going to see in 20 years. But I would not be one of these doom and gloomers that says, you know, in 20 years time, 15 years time, 30 years time, whatever, um, the film industry will cease to exist. I don't think that's true. It may morph. uh, The cost may change, the relative cost, right? Can it go up if it's a smaller market? Sure, that might happen. so we'll see. But I'm largely optimistic that I agree with that assessment. I really do. Um, I, I know for at least the sh- very, very short term, uh, I, I think that film photography is on an upward trend. Um, again, just all these new new color emulsions. That's something we haven't yeah. seen in a long time. It's you know, we have a lot of black and white, but not that many new color emulsions. And, you know, within the last seven months or so reintroductions or brand new emulsions just on the scene so that to me that's just a good sign of 
of things in the short term to come, you know. So, Absolutely. I agree. Yep. Like you, I'm largely optimistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, Suzanne or Julie, do you have any any more questions? No, got all mine answered. Thank you. I have one. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about um, camera repair people, it made me suddenly feel a little bit worried because the when I borrowed the one I called Harold, this big speed graphic, I immediately started fiddling with everything, which is not a good idea. Right. If you decide to get one or borrow one, don't just start going on YouTube and going, oh, this will do that because <laughs> I broke it like immediately. Oh, no. <laughs> so we jumped in the car and drove an hour to barely get to a camera repair place like 20 minutes before they closed. And it was an older man and he was just so lovely and he fixed it for me. He wouldn't he didn't even charge me for fixing it. Wow. You know, he it was the shirt and the, the shirt and the curtain shutter. I jammed it mm-hmm. and um, he fixed it and he had his little store was kind of like a looked like a museum. He had all these glass cases and so many types of cameras I'd never seen. Um, and I know you have a lot of videos about a brownie Hawkeye. Yes. And like flipping the lens. I haven't right. found one yet of that particular one, but I keep collecting old Kodaks and the Brownie family every time I see them. I have a 1917 black box, a 616, and then I found a littler 121, and I have a Reflex Synchro and a Baby Brownie. I, yeah. I don't know. I probably have 10 or 12, but um, do you like using those too? Because I know part of it for me is I love that it's old and it's been through different families and Mm-hmm. I want to like let it have another chance to yeah. being useful. Oh, absolutely. I do like using those. Um, I like using them more if they take a readily available film stock. Uh, <laughs> so I know uh, uh, that you've picked up some uh, one. You have your fair share of 127 cameras, which I haven't really missed with that much. But the thing I like about the Brownie Hawkeye is at least the, I have, I guess, three of them now. One of them's just for show. The other two I actually do shoot. But more often than not, as long as you have a 620 take-up spool, you can usually jam a 120 spool of film in there uh, and get it to work. So I'm not one for, you know, re-rolling. I've done it before. I've re-rolled um, on a 120 film onto a 620 spool. And it's, you know, if you got have a dark bag, it's not the end of the roll. You can do it, but it's just yeah, kind of tedious. But I like the older ones that take again easily available film socks so if you can use 120 or find a way to you know a modification to make that work i'm all for it but yeah i like it too i think you know kind of your point is there's history in these cameras right i mean they're they are tools yes but there's histories behind it you know how many hands have held this what have they captured right what have they, what have these cameras seen so uh i like that that legacy behind those old cameras so yes i absolutely do like to shoot this i just they're awesome Yep. And we found in that shopping trip where you were there in spirit, yes. my daughter found this photo, one of the ones we picked up, and I held it up against my old brownies. And I'm like, I tried it against the different ones. And I'm like, this one, someone used this camera to make this picture. And it was like the woods with this boy holding a stick and its dog to get his dog to look up. Yeah. So it was like not not a tin type portrait style picture. It was like an actual family bought one of those brownies yep. and went out and documented their dog and their kid. And yeah. I love that. And like, you use this camera to make that picture. So mm-hmm. my daughter and I are going to try to do this, try to make the same composition with her and her dog and the brownie. That's I don't awesome. We'll be able to, but we're going to try. Yeah. That's uh, candid photos. That's real life. Mm-hmm. That, that's cool. That's cool. Well, before we end the, uh, end the show, I want to just do what I, hardly ever do i'm not real good at this and that's get everybody's socials before we actually end the podcast but before that dave thank you so so much for for joining the podcast uh fellow gen xer it's awesome thank you appreciate it (laughs) but uh it's been real nice chatting with you it's been my pleasure mario thanks so much suzanne thanks for joining as always with these interviews and julie thank you for uh, joining the podcast as well as a co-host thank you both thank you you're welcome. Awesome. Okay, so let's get to the socials. Uh, we'll start with you, Dave. What are uh, where can people find your work? 
Uh, pretty easy. If you look for the old camera guy, you're going to find me just about everywhere. Uh, my main platform, as we've talked about, is YouTube. Uh, I am on Twitter under that same handle, Instagram as well. TikTok, believe it or not, the oldest man on TikTok is probably me. Uh, and those are probably the best place to find me. I think I'm on Flickr, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I haven't checked that in a couple of years. Okay. But uh, you can probably find me there as, again, the old camera guy pretty much everywhere. Sounds great. Suzanne, where can people find you? Uh, easiest is probably Instagram, and I'm b.roll.backup. And everything else about me should be linked through that. <laughs> I have like a little link tree type thing. So that is your favorite uh, Instagram site, right? Or, uh, it is. Hey, what do they call Instagram? Your Instagram page is an Instagram page. I think just Instagram page. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah that seems to be yours. Uh, isn't it it? Is. All, at least all your, your coolest photos are on that page. Uh, thank you. I agree. I agree. <laughs> all right, Julie, where can people find you? Um, on Instagram, I'm JP Shoebox Picks because I have cameras made of shoeboxes. <laughs> and um, if you want to see my one lousy video that I have made shopping with Dave, <laughs> it's Shoebox Walk on YouTube. Awesome. And you can find my work at, on Instagram at Mario Piper, all one word, all lowercase. Also, the uh, second site for that, the Gen X Photog Pod Instagram site. And most of my work you can find on, on Flickr at Mario Space Piper. Uh, that's where I upload all my videos. I love Flickr, full-size resolution photos, um, the full photo versus Instagram. So you can find us all there uh, at these various places. So before we go, uh, Dave has uh, some re one reminder for us. Do some good, have some fun, and shoot some film. And as always, keep those analog vibes alive. <laughs>